0: Hey folks, we have some exciting news for you all. We have just launched a brand new company founded on the tenets of our love as a business strategy philosophy, the same philosophy that you've grown to know and love. This new venture is called Culture Plus. Culture Plus is a culture as a service company that provides training experiences, consulting services, and digital tools to help companies achieve high performing and high reliability cultures and teams. To learn more, visit culture-plus.com. That's culture-plus.com. And now, let's get to the show. Joanna Pagonis is the founder and owner of CineGap Solutions. She's a podcaster, an author, a consultant, entrepreneur. And she joins us today to help break open an important topic, which is women in the workplace and women in leadership. It's no secret that most industries are male-dominated and women face a number of challenges in the workplace that Joanna has set out to help people understand and fix. This is an important conversation and I hope you find it impactful. Hello and welcome to Love as a Business Strategy, a podcast that brings humanity to the workplace. We're here to talk about business, but we want to tackle topics that most business leaders shy away from. We believe that humanity and love should be at the center of every successful business. I'm your host, Jeff Ma, and I'm joined today by my co-host and co-author, Chris Petrie. Hey, Chris, what's going on?
1: Hey, Jeff, how are you?
0: Good, good, good. And Each episode, we dive into one element of business and strategy, and we test our theory of love against it. Today's guest is Joanna Pagonis. Joanna is an international speaker and author of the book, Choose to Be a Leader Others Would Want to Follow. One thing that instantly connected me to her is that she says, we spend most of our lives at work, so why can't we actually enjoy and find fulfillment in what we do, which is practically our mantra here at Love is a Business Strategy and our mission. So instant connection there. But she's also the founder and owner of Synogap Solutions, and she also hosts the Tackle Tuesday podcast, which is a weekly podcast series that tackles different issues in the workplace. So welcome to the show, Joanna. How are you?
2: Thank you for having me. Great, Jeff. Thank you so much.
1: Hi, Chris. Hi. Nice to meet you. You too. <laughs>
0: So, Jana, we do a quick icebreaker here, which I always make my co host go first so that you have time to think about your answer. So, Chris, today's icebreaker is as a child, what did you want to be when you grew up?
1: So, several things. So the first thing was an anesthesiologist. And this is where I learned (laughs) the importance of not copying someone else. Because this is what um, a friend by the name of Catherine, she wants to be an anesthesiologist. And I'm like, well, then I want to be one too. And then it grew from that to being a veterinarian. And then from that to being a lawyer. And then from that to uh, a lot of other things. But an anesthesiologist was the first career choice that I had as a kid. kid.
0: Wow. Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Joanna. As a child, what did you want to be when you grew up?
2: I wanted to be an actress. That was my my goal. But when like you have who, weak parents, you, that doesn't ever turn into reality. So unless you're Jennifer Aniston.
0: Yeah. Who is your Who is your like inspiration as a child? That you remember? Like who who did you see on screen that kind of did that for you?
2: God, you know, it's interesting. Like, so I love. I wanted to. I I saw myself being on Broadway because I loved to to sing too, and
0: uh-huh. so
2: I was really drawn to Madonna. Because her Mm -hmm. shows were like theatrical performances. So I envisioned myself doing that as well. Uh, But in terms of acting, I guess, you know, at that time when I was growing up, Meryl Streep, Glenn Close, and then Jennifer, uh, not Jennifer Aniston. um, Oh, my God. She did. Why does she did Pretty Lady? Why does her name is Julia Roberts? Roberts. Yes. Yeah. You know, but I think really um, I love Meryl Streep. And Jane Fonda, like, oh, they're just, I could watch them all day.
1: Nice. Meryl Streep is like greatest of all time, for sure.
2: (laughs) She really transforms herself. Like Julia Roberts, I enjoy, but I can kind of see Julia Roberts, like her persona and archetype in every film. Whereas Meryl Streep really does transform. It's incredible.
1: Mm -hmm. I still think the Iron Lady is like one of the most, I'm like, Mm She really go. like Margaret Thatcher is all I saw. I never saw Meryl Streep at all in that performance.
2: Totally. Yeah. Or the Devil Wears Prada. Oh,
1: mm-hmm. That's still my favorite. That's my favorite performance of hers. But I was I was the weird one who saw her as the good guy, and everybody else has the. I was like, she was so clear with what she wants. How is this so hard? Like, <laughs> <laughs> if there was any, like, I was like, I would love to have worked for her. Like, I'm the weird person, of course. I'm like, she was super clear in what she wanted and expected, and never wavered from it and so I was like, oh, she was right.
2: consistent that's yeah. for sure
1: but yeah i thought the i thought the um the villain in that movie was actually the boyfriend who was like mm-hmm. <laughs> sort of anti-career I, it was i yep, was like i, I know, get I it this relationship but anyway we don't have to-
0: tune in tune in <laughs> next week when we do an episode on the entire <laughs> breakdown analysis of the devil wears prada look forward for that episode but until then joanna can you um kick us off high level here because I just want you to like talk a little bit about yourself and what you do, why you do it and talk about your passions.
2: So when I decided to not become an actress because my parents were not supportive, I thought, okay, (laughs) well, what do I want to do? And you know, it was quite the journey. Like I actually got kicked out of university. Because I was like, I don't know what I want to do. I'm only here because my dad made me come. <laughs> <I> was like, <laughs> you know, it's either that or, you know, so I was like, I don't know what I want to do. And so I did a lot of soul searching, saw a lot of career counselors, and I decided ultimately, I wanted to make people feel good. I think that's why I wanted to get into acting because people go to the movies when they're feeling a certain kind of way and want to feel better about themselves or feel different, right? And so I thought, well, how can I harness that passion that I have? And I thought, well, go into the field of psychology. And initially I thought I was going to become a marriage family counselor and actually pursued that path. And I was doing my master's and learning how to become a group therapist because I I intrinsically understand and believe that the systems we live and grow in and work in, play in, uh, really influence who we are as individuals. And so you can't really work with a child or an individual without considering the system that they function and live within. So I wanted to work with systems. So I always looked at holistic approaches to helping people be fully functioning human beings. And so did anti-bullying and looked at a whole school system approach. I did anger management, working with families and kids would been mandated to the court. But then over time, I realized, you know, I had moved to a new city and I was working for nonprofits. And their, income is unreliable when you're working in a nonprofit industry because, you know, you get paid based on the contracts and the funding they get and your position is never really confirmed. And, and I was in a new city. I was living all by myself and I didn't feel that stability that I wanted. So I ended up looking in the corporate world and thought maybe I had some transferable skills that could bring me there. I ended up in corporate learning and development. So the skills that I used to develop programs for families and children were the same skills that were required to design employee development programs and leadership development programs. Mm-hmm. And what I decided, what I discovered was, uh, an organization is just another system. Mm-hmm. And we play. If you look at a family system and an organizational system, can you see some of the alignments between the two? Right. You know, the parents could potentially be the executives. Right. And then you have the children could potentially be the employees. Right. There's, you know, the parents set the the cultural norms, the expectations. They're the ones that instill the values in their children and and try to hold their children as best as they can accountable. Parents have to hold themselves accountable when they make mistakes because parents make mistakes. And I thought this is just another system. And if I can understand the system and how the system could be structured or designed to better support individuals, I'm. I'm probably going to find a little, a lot of fulfillment in this, in this job field. Right. And so I decided I was going to go back and do my master's and like focus really on industrial psychology. So not really focus on becoming a psychologist in a clinical setting for an individual or family, but becoming a psychologist for at an organizational level. And I started to do that and I loved it so much. I decided I want to do this all day long. I don't want to do this as part of another company for another organization. I want to work with all industries. And so I ended up leaving my very secure employment to launch my own business right before the pandemic so I could do this full time. And isn't that funny? I I left uncertainty and unstab- lack of stability to get a stable job. But then after a decade of doing that, I realized nope, I'd rather go back into uncertainty and unpredictability because this is where my heart lies. So now I do this for my myself uh, and work with clients in all industries, small, medium, large, complex, uh, tech, finance, government, you know, it's wonderful. And so I just learned so much from my clients as well, because I have to learn a new their new system every time I get a new client. So I just work with them and help them achieve their mission by maximizing the human potential across their workforce, by looking at not only theories around management, but theories specific to human performance, psychology, intrinsic motivation, emotional intelligence, really leadership at the end of the day. So I try to equip leaders with the skills they need to lead through the heart and i think that's why i was so drawn to you jeff too and mohammed when i met you and you got you were on my podcast because when i heard the love as a business strategy i was like oh this is like music to my ears you know these are my soulmates here i have to meet with them and talk with them cuz our our philosophies are very much aligned
0: awesome i know um we we had a couple conversations after your podcast about coming on this show cuz we had so much alignment so much great conversation and I think we we also talked about specifically what could this episode kind of center around? And I know that one thing you mentioned that you have a passion for and a space that you're becoming more and more involved in is women in in the workplace and specifically women leadership. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that direction and, and what it is you're trying to um, do in that space?
2: Great question. I worked, when I joined the corporate training and development world, I always worked in a male-dominated industry, except for my most recent experience where I went over to the Ministry of Education. But typically, I was in law enforcement or in the safety, uh, public safety realm. Uh, And I mean, it's a male-dominated industry. And so when I launched my business, I thought, well, you know, I still want to pursue this passion of helping people. Where are the gaps that exist around um, leadership and leadership gender gap is one of the biggest ones. And I realized through some of the research and my own experiences that if we can create more equity and diversity, especially by eliminating the leadership gender gap, uh, we we have the potential of increasing our our um, our success as, as a society, uh, as businesses as well, where we get different perspectives that we did not necessarily consider because the leadership is made up of a homogenous group of people. And so you need that diversity uh, so that you can, you know, make products and services that are representative of the people you serve. And so women play an important role in that process. And reflecting on my own experiences, I was like, it was tricky because the only people I had as role models were men. And they led in different ways than I led. And I could find some inspirational leaders through the men that I worked with, but there was also many of them that I was like, Oh, what, this is, doesn't feel natural to me to lead in this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I call it the, the ick factor. You know, if somebody's telling you or encouraging you to do something that they would do and it makes you, makes your skin crawl, like you shouldn't do it, you know? And so watching other leaders, their, their process and their approaches, I had the ick factor and I was like, well, how do I, move up in this organization, where I may be the only one in a room, you know, it wasn't uncommon for me to, and I'm short, I'm five foot two, I'm a civilian working in a male dominated law enforcement industry, where most of the men wear their uniforms and have their firearms. (laughs) And so I needed to make, I had to position myself in that room with like, people that were probably double my size, you know, uh, and, and position myself as a A strong, capable, and confident so I can get that credibility. It took time to learn that. But I thought through those experiences, wouldn't it be great to bring other women together? Because I'm sure they have other experiences similar and different to mine. What if we created a learning space for people to come together and learn from one another? So um, to try and eliminate the leadership gender gap. And and that's how I started to get into that space and focus a little bit more on that. Because I really want to be a true advocate for women.
1: Awesome. And so when it comes to your experience, and especially, you know, starting those conversations with so many women, share some of what you were hearing, or what, what were those initial conversations like? Like, what stories were similar, if not different than yours? Like, because I'm sure it was a wide gambit.
2: Hmm. So some of them are, I remember, it, 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 it's, a, it's a heartfelt and a bit of a painful one. Uh, and more than one woman has shared this story with me. And you know, when you look at those entry-level positions, uh, leadership positions, it tends to be women younger in age, right? Uh, I'm pushing 50. So uh, based on my career trajectory, I wouldn't be entering into those entry-level leadership positions. So women typically are in their childbearing years, right? When they get into this frontline supervisor, maybe that frontline manager position, and are thinking about having or starting families or growing their family. and uh, one woman had shared her story with me how uh, she was trying to get pregnant, was successful, and then experienced the miscarriage. This is quite common. This happens. And and women usually, you know, we don't share when we're pregnant, right, until we hit, you know, the after that first trimester period. And so our bodies could be going through all kinds of stuff, and nobody really knows what's going on because we're not sharing it for mm-hmm. different reasons. Right. And so she experienced a miscarriage and had this really huge presentation to do the next day. And she was the only woman in the office and she didn't know how to tell her boss. I don't know if I can come in tomorrow. Cause I spend all night in, in the ER. And so she didn't, and she went into work the next day and did a presentation and went home and just continued to cry at home for the rest of the day after that. And, and it's like, and this isn't a one-off story. I've heard other women share these stories with me. So mm-hmm. these are some of the challenges that women experience, not because, you know, we, we don't feel safe enough, you know, not saying that the men that worked with her wouldn't have been understanding if she shared it because she actually ended up sharing it after and her supervisor was very understanding. But um, yeah, like you, you just, mm-hmm. when there's nobody else that looks like you, you don't know who to go to, to share that story. Right. Yeah. And all this is, Although, as I mentioned, because I didn't want to, I don't want to break her 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 confidence. But this is one story that she shared with me. But there are other women who shared almost identical stories with me. So when she shared that story, I was like, I know of like three others that are like that. Mm-hmm. The other one, which is very common, uh, and this is my perspective of being a white woman in in, in a male dominated industry, is the sexual harassment. Mm-hmm. Uh, the romantic, you know, to put it in a nice way, romantic. Yeah. advances propositions on yeah, a regular yeah. basis i used to joke around if i only got sexually harassed once a year it was a good year
1: <laughs> that's not that's not funny but it's funny uh so <laughs> apologies trigger warning no you
2: appears. can laugh <laughs> i meant it to be funny We have to have yeah. a sense of dark even if it's a dark one sometimes yeah. you have to be able to have a sense of humor about these things well
1: right you know now. what's what's funny and i i I'm always shocked that it it happens, um, especially when it comes to just this 2021. But my um, my mentor, um, who is now like the chief executive of a staffing firm, she's got sexually harassed by her employees who d- report into her. Like at a happy hour, just grabs her cleavage, just yeah, just goes for it. And you know, she's like, he's he was drunk, but it's like, I'm like, I'm sitting there like, oh my gosh, how does how does this, how did, like, right? And I, I'm like speechless. I'm like, I'm sorry, but like, can we talk about, like, let's unpack this, like, talk about psychologists, right? Like, how do you, your chief executive is a female that you just, you <laughs> like go that, into that's it. happened
2: to me. A subordinate has flirted with me. And I'm like, I thought when I got to this level, support, I may have to deal yeah. with my peers or higher ups, but not my subordinates. No, yeah. it was coming a nice 360. Sexual harassment <laughs> experience,
1: you know. Right. So, yeah. 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 I'm shocked. I was, I, I, was floored. I was speechless. I was mm-hmm. like, her name was Rebecca. Like, I was like Rebecca. Like, what is it? Like, how? I, well, she's like, Can you share how did she deal with it? Um, well, she is used to being in a male-dominated space and in male-dominated roles, right? Because even in, even though typically staffing organizations are largely female, right? Like, it's a, it's considered That's pink right. collar. But clientele, you know, all those conversations are still male-dominated spaces, especially the higher Mm -hmm. up you get into staffing um, conversations. And so she's just like her, I don't know if this is her strategy, this is how I've interpreted part of what she said, but she dismisses it because she's gotten used to it, if that's Mm
2: -hmm. so it's Mm -hmm. like
1: go along to get along, I guess, is the um, way to accurately describe it but it was just shocking and and she shared like all these other situations that you know again we worked together and she was getting hit on by I'm like how did I like what (laughs) she's like and there's no shame in their game especially behind a closed door like the things that she would hear and I'm glad that she told me because, you know, like I always, I'm always thinking about those types of things, and if I'm leaving someone in a situation that could be potentially unsafe, um, right. and so, but it was just, it shocks me because it happens at any level, it happens, you know, regardless of age, regardless of any identifiers that some people might consider attractive or not, right? It's just, yeah, it happens. Um, but yeah. I was, I was again speechless, dumbfounded, completely,
2: right. And um one of the reasons why I said too, like the perspective of a white woman, you add like another um, another intersectional factor to that. like if I was a woman of color, mm-hmm. I would not only have probably have to be dealing with the sexual harassment side of it, there could be other things that I'm dealing with too, around racism, discrimination based on the color of my skin as well. because I say too that I may, at the beginning of my career, I tended to be the only female in the room. That's beginning to shift. But as a woman of, I'm not a woman of color, but at a woman who is a woman of color, she's probably really the only one in the room, and so there's more barriers that women of color experience when trying to ascend into leadership positions and these microaggressions, whether they be around race or gender or or sex. And uh, yeah, the, like uh, it's. I'm glad that you shared that with me, and I, if I could just talk a little bit about the go with it kind of approach, because there's there's some negatives with that. Part of it is you just, it's exhausting having to deal with every it all the time. It's, it's a protective mechanism that women put in place so that they can somehow get through the day and do what they need to do. Uh, you don't want to always be seen as rocking the boat all the time because you will get labeled. So I get that. It's, it's, it is a um, survival mechanism, but can you potentially see the risks when you don't step up and stay, say something? Other people, it, it, it gives people permission, right, yes. to ke- mm-hmm. keep doing it. And he did it to you. Trust me, he's doing it to other women. Yep. I we had a webinar because uh, I'm launching a program called Women Up: Ignite the Leader in You," and to help promote the program and just educate women what the program was, I had a webinar. We were just a small group, eight women, and w- women start to talk about some of their experiences of inequity and injustice. And one woman said, "You know, you have two choices. Really, you can just." go with it. Or you can say, maybe I could be the change I want to see. There's risk associated with that. Sure. Um, but is the risk worth it? And the way she put, play, put positioned it for herself was yes, it is because I'm not only making a change for myself, I'm making a change for my female colleagues that work with me that I respect. And, and the people who are coming after me that I want to create a better work environment. I believe in my organization enough that it has the agility to change and so I'm going to start being that change. Slowly try some new things, see what the you know reaction is to that, and just keep trying my best to influence that change. Because the alternative is you either say nothing and it just escalates, or you end up having to quit and leave. And, and a lot of great, wonderful, amazing talent, diverse talent walks out the door. And uh, there's there so many, now with globalization and the internet and Zoom and Teams and all that, really, you can work in another country. I have more options. I don't have Mm -hmm. to work for you. Mm
0: -hmm. If you
2: don't treat me with human decency, I'll go somewhere else. And I hope organizations start to see that.
0: Yeah. So I guess not to to get too ahead of ourselves, but I want to talk, I guess, solutions, right? I want to talk about like, what do we do? And I'll I'll speak from the perspective, I'm a man. So I'm going to, I'm going to stand from, I'm part of the problem. So how do we get to the solution. Like, why have we struggled, I guess? Why is this problem so difficult to fix? What are the challenges you're seeing?
2: I'll actually answer that by asking a question, if that's okay.
0: Please. Yes. Okay.
2: So yourselves are being organizational leaders in your company. If somebody brought, it was brought to your attention, whether through an individual who felt safe enough to approach either of you or through Mm -hmm. HR, that there was an instance of sexual harassment in the workplace, um, what would you do?
0: I mean,
1: I know what I would do, but Jeff, I don't know. Like,
0: No, go ahead, Chris.
1: So I take every account of those things seriously and have, um, and we have had that happen in our organization, unfortunately, um, and <clears throat> immediately I get irate, like, and I'm like, <laughs> it's like, no questions asked, like, no tolerance, like, get, like, I'm I'm an advocate for letting someone go. That's my first thing. Cause I'm like, I don't like, I'm not here to dissect it. I'm not here to justify it. Like I don't want to excuse it. Right? And that's typically what starts to happen when you start asking questions as the excuses come forward. It was his first time. He didn't know what he was doing. It was this, I'm like, okay, so we're admitting guilt here. So I'm, so it's not about, you know whether the comments were valid or it really ha- like we're saying that it happened. So great, yeah. it happened. Now we need to do something about it. So, typically, when when organizations start to investigate, you know, I know that there's the whole employee relations process that has to happen, and you know, all of those things. Um, but to me, if there, especially if there's more than one incident and more than one person comes forward, you know, I believe in that old adage: two people can't tell the same lie, <laughs> right? Like, so to me, it's not worth the harm that could be caused even if it's a high performer. And mm-hmm. so um, I immediately go to that you know, decision um, because I just, one, aside from the risk and like you being sort of the employer who validates or allows for that to happen, it just, it changes the experience that every woman now has because they do talk, right? They, everybody who looks like you, you typically have some sort of back channel with, right? um, regardless of the identity marker. Um, and so you already have now created a reputation as an employer of allowing that kind of behavior. Um, and it limits your ability to retain and recruit, not just that impacted, you know, victim, but all of the other people who look like her, (laughs) right. Yeah. Um, Well said, Chris. And so that is why I immediately go to like, you know, a surgical procedure. We got to remove, <laughs> remove the issue. <laughs> like, let's not even play with it. Let's not sit on it. Let's not try and debate it. Um, but again, I'm one leader among many, right? And so you don't always have the ability to make that call and that be that. Um, but that's typically my go-to. Um, but it doesn't always work out that way because as you can imagine, some people are out to protect others who might be doing harm, right? hmm mm-hmm.
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Jennifer, did you, you want to add? Oh man, I like I I personally have not dealt the situation. I'm putting myself mentally in there right now. Everything Chris says is something that sounds sounds absolutely what needs to happen. I don't know why there would be any avenue otherwise, but I haven't yet experienced this myself. You know, I'm not trying to pre-make excuses or anything like that. These people have names, these people have stories. And when it really happens i'm sure all these factors come swirling in and you having to deal with this very complicated emotional kind of crazy yeah. thing but on paper i'm like this type of behavior is not tolerable like not to be tolerated and it should just be you know you know it has to have consequences and so that's that's where i start as well
1: and joanna it actually gets even crazier when you take in a global organization
0: because mm-hmm. in the
1: u.s we have laws, we have very clear Mm -hmm. things, but when you start working overseas where they don't have protections, right, my decision or my call is seen as like crazy extreme and inappropriate, even though I'm like, well, I want a safe workplace for women everywhere in the workforce, no matter where we operate, Um, but that's also a factor into it right and being a a global company ourselves like it's it's different right like i can't always apply our labor laws to a situation that's overseas right and so when you have harassment claims regardless of what they are overseas you know it becomes now a a legal conversation more so than an ethical conversation because it could be wrongful termination over there to let someone go for creating an unsafe work environment through harassment when it's not seen as harassment in their in their jurisdiction right
2: I'm so glad you mentioned that (laughs) that's a very important um, factor or element that can complicate things right so I'm Mm -hmm. glad you mentioned that if I can share kind of my what I'm thinking and uh, and I'll, I'll bring it back to my days of uh, anti-bullying programs and working at a, a whole sis- school system approach, right? And so we, we used to teach it from the perspective of there's a bully or there's an individual who's engaging in bullying behaviors. There's an individual who's been victimized and then there's the bystander. And so when you have the bully and the victim, you could say, look, those are the two individuals that are in this sexual harassment uh, complaint, a complaint, right? The bystander could very well be colleagues, coworkers we've seen, or even the organization itself, like the organizational leaders at the top could be the bystander. And so I think, first of all, look at it that way. See it as on an individual level in regards to, these are just individuals, not just, but these are individuals who are experiencing something. And If you approach it with I have this growth mindset where I think everybody has the potential to be better and that means that the person who's engaging in bullying or sexual harassment behaviors if we can try to see that person as maybe still having the potential to learn from this can we see it in that respect you know not just label them as evil purposely trying to harm somebody and I'll, I'll tell you where this comes from. This is right from my own experience. So I'll, say, I'll, sh- I'll share the process and then talk about how I did it personally when I experienced uh, sexual harassment. So see this as an individual who may, be, may have the capacity to learn and grow from this and, and stop that behavior, number one. Number two, we have somebody who's who's been harmed psychologically, maybe even physically, that needs to be addressed immediately and to make that person feel safe. And that could be part of what you need to feel safe. Uh, empathy. Uh, Is just about being able to listen and not place judgment on what the person is sharing with you and not discrediting or devaluing and saying, yeah, but, you know, it's just the way we are here type of thing. But say, this is serious. I hear you. And we're going to do what we need to do to help you feel protected. And asking them, what do you need to feel protected? Sometimes HR, what we'll do is they'll move you. They'll take the victim and move them to another work area. Mm -hmm. And they think that will resolve the the, the issue. The behavior still exists and impacting the other women who are left behind. And then myself, who is the victim that's been placed into a new work area, what message are you sending to me when you do that? And and maybe I don't like where you're moving me, and maybe you're moving me. If the culture is condones this behavior, you're just you're just moving the problem, yeah. you know. So let's not do that either, right? Yeah. Devaluing what have I experienced, mm-hmm. um, and then and then trying to you know look at the organization as a system in terms of what are your values and what do you put out there, uh, what do you what do you accept, what do you uh, reinforce. You know, what do you take accountability for and address immediately? And that is more of a long-term game, right? Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, schools, zero tolerance for bullying policy. Those policies are like zero tolerance for sexual harassment. Sometimes those policies don't work very well because you haven't equipped the people in the organization to understand how they need to behave and be in order to live that policy. So when you talked about We're an international global organization. Laws are different everywhere. That's a very compliance enforcement approach to dealing with issues. And the argument I make is you have to understand what the laws are in order to be compliant with them. But let's go beyond compliance and understand what do we need to do to make people feel committed to one another? And that goes back to love. How do we create a culture where people love one another? So when they find out that they may have hurt somebody that's not acceptable and we, we're going to educate that one person that hurts somebody because that's unacceptable we, we work through love and that's not love yeah. sometimes when we love people we hurt them so let's let's give that person who hurt the other person opportunity to learn from that you know and, and if they don't learn from that well then you don't have a wrongful t- termination lawsuit on your hand when you've when you've demonstrated through documentation what you've done to support this individual change their behavior if they have yeah. Are not able to do that, then you you can. Chances are, you will be able to fire them. They may still sue you, but they don't have much of a leg to stand on, right? <laughs> uh, so I think that's it's a complex approach, but mm-hmm. you to do it in baby steps. And I think it all yeah. starts with the organizational leaders at the top in terms of what they say is okay.
1: Yeah. Before mm-hmm. I and share I, my
2: personal experience, I wanted to ask you what your thoughts
1: mm-hmm. are. Yeah, no, I I agree with everything you just said, and um, the. The restorative justice model I'm calling a restorative justice that that approach to um, when someone does offend another allowing them the chance to learn from that and show how what they cause in terms of damage so they can sort of understand that, hey, what you did was wrong, but pulling you away and putting you in prison or moving them to another role doesn't change anything. Um, But allowing you to actually be a part of the solution going forward and maybe you tell what you did to someone else like I did this don't ever do this right like sometimes that is a better way of sort of one getting people to see the impact of their behavior but two, allow them to still feel like they're part of the community, the team, etc. So it doesn't make this lasting sort of mark on, you know, the the fabric of a company or the team or the organization. So I completely agree. And so I think from from, you know, what we've been learning and doing, you know, even with Love as a Business Strategy. um, Whether we're talking about sexual harassment, whether we're talking about discrimination, whether we're talking about just getting angry with someone, like it's all sort of coming down to your behavior, right? And how willing are you to change, but also how willing are you to listen to the lived experiences that are different from your own and understand that even though you might be okay with that or it was okay for that other person, it doesn't mean that that's okay for everyone right? right and then being willing to adjust or you know sh- at least upfront express where you're coming from like so many ways to handle how do you move forward um to avoid the situation where someone is walking away saying that was not okay for me
2: right and you know what to add to what you said chris you made me think of mm-hmm. this and you I think you're saying this but mm-hmm. um address the inappropriate, harmful behaviors, but how can we empower the person who has been victimized through this experience? So they don't see themselves as a victim anymore, but they see themselves as empowered and given permission by the organization to challenge these behaviors and encourage other women or other people to challenge all hurtful behaviors, right? So they can feel empowered and confident to deal with it because it will happen again, whether it's within that organization, or other organization.
0: Yeah. And I want to platform that into another problem that you stated earlier in the, in this, in this show was that a lot of women don't have someone above them to model or see as a role model that look like them. Um, and that can lead to the inability to speak up or feeling like, and like the example you gave, sometimes it's not even that, that they won't be accepted or they won't be heard. It's just that they don't have anyone. Um, and it's kind of the self you know, perpetuating problem, right? Because there's no leader up top that looks like them. And they themselves are are then not empowered and not enabled to become that next leader as well. Right. How do we solve that problem? Um, what is the, the blind spot, I guess, here that people are missing?
2: Right. So th- the way I try to do it at least is try to uh, approach it from two, Two, two ways, right? The individual and the organization. So when it comes to the individual, some of that is um, investing in people's professional development. And un- by understanding the challenges and the barriers that certain people within a population experience and, and trying to give them access to resources, professional development, mentors, stretch assignments, whatever it is to help them develop number one confidence within themselves uh, and that they feel valued by the organization, help them uncover what their strengths are. That can go a long way in helping us develop the confidence to take risks. If we have an organizational leader who says, "I believe in you. I want to invest in you. You have great strengths. Let's figure out what those are, really articulate them, and then leverage them. And then that way we can support you to continually grow and and uh, within this organization. So some of it is like let's some of it is like let's give them um, more insight into what their strengths are, leverage those. It'll go a long way increasing their confidence to take risks, try new things, which also means challenging processes or certain norms or behaviors that should be challenged. It takes a lot of confidence to do that. I'm more willing to do that if I feel like I can go to my boss and they'll support me, which is what happened to me. I went to my boss, I said, This is what happened, this is what I'm doing and was like, I support you, what do you need? But it took time for me to develop that confidence. And it came from the fact that I had an organization who invested in my professional development, who put me on stretch assignments, who gave me access to mentors, who included me in things like, you know, those social gatherings where a lot of the business dealings happen. You know, I was included in that. Uh-huh. I wasn't excluded. You know, it wasn't like, oh, we're, I, that's happened to me. we are all the guys? Oh, they're at the golf tournament. None of the women were invited. <laughs> So, you know, I may not go forward to my boss to say, I'm feeling this by this individual. I feel harassed or unsafe from this individual. If I'm being excluded from all of these opportunities, it's a clear message. You're not important. Yeah. Anybody who has a penis is. <laughs>
1: so, That's the first know. time I think that word has been said on the podcast moment. moment. <laughs> um, so I think I completely agree with everything you just said. And, you know, I often tell the team and when I reflect on my own sort of growth in my career, i grew the most underneath women leadership right and i will confidently and boldly tell everybody that like i have grown the most in my career when i was being led by a woman um and under that i was able to go to this conference where this was a topic and they had i can't remember her name but she was talking about like the impacts that women have had when they've been at the helm of companies or even societies and whatnot and she brought up in the 1950s when all the men were at war and women had to run the home and run businesses. How our lifespans increased, access to education increased. Like women take care of things, and this is not to be just like I don't want to sort of um, generalize and say like this is the what a woman does, but just the importance and the priority shifted when men were at war. Right, men are short-term thinkers typically. Right, so mm. they think about immediate satisfaction and sort of you know going to the bars when they get off work and burning through their money, like they. That was sort of the norm whereas when women have the responsibility to manage finances children had to go to the doctor they saved for education they made sure that the kids had what they needed for clothes and everything right like all of those things were reprioritized in a home and then because of that lifespans increased going into the yeah. businesses there's more care put into the employee base right like all of those things happened underneath women leadership and when you see that even to this day Typically, businesses grow underneath a woman in leadership, right? And then there's more long-term investments or in mid-term investments because they they think more they think longer, typically than men, right? And I don't want to generalize because there's there's I'm sure there's men who are long-term thinkers and women who are short-term thinkers, but but traditionally and statistically, that tends to be how um, a lot of differences play out when it comes to women in leadership. And a lot of people just don't know these facts, but also history um, that right. supports some of the justification as to why it is a problem that we don't have enough women in leadership,
0: mm-hmm. women of color,
1: right. you know, white women, women in like just women, right? Um, and so I completely agree with your, your your notion around like there needs to be more mentorship. There needs to be a lot more access to opportunity. Um, and there also, um, it sounds like there needs to be, um, Advocates and allies on the male side of things to say, absolutely. Why are there are no women in here. <laughs> Why are there no, like? Where are the women? Like, what's going on here? This is crazy. Like, I'm not going to go if I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to say a, a derogatory term. If this is a sausage fest, I don't want to go. Right? <laughs> right? So You know, like we should be more vocal in that because it shouldn't just be if the conversation has to live only with women, there won't be much progress.
2: I agree. Yeah. And you know, so that's a good example of individual level, what I can do yeah. to take advantage and of the opportunities that my company's giving to me, but what you can mm-hmm. do as an, a company to offer these opportunities is yeah. important to think of. So it's individual and organizational level, what you could do. Yeah,
0: This is a, a topic that is, is just so important to talk about. I think like I asked that question very genuinely earlier because I'm like, how do we overcome this? Yeah. Because I, ha- I have a ahead, question Chris.
1: actually, for uh, Joanna. So one of the things that the same speaker said was that here's one of the, some of the gotchas or the pitfalls that women have sometimes when they get into leadership, and you brought this up a little bit earlier, but it was when women have to out the men, mm-hmm. and they become more aggressive, or they do the, the ick factor things, and they sort of adopt that wholeheartedly in order to feel like they have to stay oh, in leadership. So I'm curious to know, what advice do you have for women to avoid that? Or if they have sort of succumbed to that that sort of direction, you know, how do they sort of double back to what's more natural to them? That's a
2: great question. Uh, two concepts I'll present that I think are easy to grasp and that will grasp and will always guide you in the right way. Uh, mm-hmm. I call it the anchor and the lighthouse. So the anchor is your purpose. Like, why do you wanna be a leader? ask yourself that first and foremost, you know, is it just for the corner office back in the day, you know, or the the bigger paycheck really and the better benefits, or is it you have this intrinsic need to want to help and support other people, lead others for good, for altruistic purposes. So articulate that for yourself because when times get tough and they will, especially if you're a woman in a male dominated industry, um, when you're lost, when you're at sea, that's why I call it, you know, I use like nautical terms, right? The, the waves uh, start really getting kind of out of control and the boat's all over the place. The anchor will hopefully keep you grounded and that's your purpose. It should ground you. So when you feel like you don't know what direction to go in, just go back to your purpose, let be ground you. And so you can get a sense of the direction you need to go in. Once you're ready to move forward, once you've reaffirmed what your purpose is, look towards your lighthouse. And for me, the lighthouse are your values, Values are behaviors. Ultimately, it's things that are important to you that if we were ripped from you, you wouldn't be the person you are anymore. So those are your values and they guide your actions. So once you're ready to move forward, find your lighthouse, think about your values, and, and then take whatever advice is being given to you and, and, you know, contrast it with that purpose that anchor and 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 lighthouse to say is that really feel right with me? Does that feel authentic? To me, to move in this direction that people, or at least I'm feeling or perceiving that people are trying to push me into that direction. If it doesn't feel right, like you get that ick factor, because it's going against your values and it's going against your purpose. Don't do it. Some people say make it, fake it till you make it. Okay, you know what, if you're trying to do, you want to take a risk and do something, but you're a bit nervous, go for it. I I understand the the analogy of fake it till you make it. But if you're going to go in a direction that you really feel like is totally the wrong direction for you to go in, don't fake it till you make it. Stop right there and go the direction you need to go in because people will know when you're not being authentic. And when you're not authentic, that's when you lose credibility. That's when people don't trust you and no one will follow you. And that's what ends up happening to us. Sometimes it can happen to men too, but I've I've heard this happen to a lot of women where they're like, I feel like this is how I have to behave. Embrace your female power. Hopefully one day we can stop, stop labeling it as female power and just call it great leadership Mm -hmm. and, and, and follow that path, you know, do what feels right to you. And I would challenge, I would argue and say, probably being really aggressive, isn't it? You know, Mm -hmm. unless you're a sociopath, maybe, I don't
0: know. Joanna, before we close, can you um, just take a moment and tell the audience um, how they can find you, what you're working on, you know, plug yourself a little bit while we still have this time.
2: Sure. Thank you. So, how you can find me is obviously on LinkedIn. I'm there. You can go to my website, SynoGap Solutions. It's my last name spelled backwards. Uh, Synogapsolutions.com. I encourage you to learn more about the organization through the website. Uh, you'll know everything. You'll learn everything you need to know. But I'm also encouraging people and your listeners to learn more about the Woman Up Ignite the Leader in You program. It's very different. It's an 11-week program where women come together to uncover their purpose, their lighthouse their anchor, uh, uncover their strengths and learn and practice new skills around how to communicate in a way that feels authentic to them, how to get through really difficult times and uh, and understand what your emotional triggers are and how to still manage those emotions so you can get the positive outcomes that you're seeking for yourself. And it's quite a a community of women coming together because especially if you work in an area where there's not a lot of women, you want to be able to be mentored or find a female coach driver who's trying to get promoted and and work with them. This program offers women this community. It's all virtual. So although the women are coming from different parts across Canada, I mean, there's nothing to prevent somebody from the States to joining uh, or other parts of the world just the time zone would be the challenge, but go go to the website, go click on the tab that says courses, and you can learn all about the woman up program there. And feel free to connect with me uh, through LinkedIn, or even through the contact us page. Uh, I'd love to hear any questions that you have uh, and engage in a conversation with you.
0: I love it. That sounds like an amazing, amazing opportunity. And so Joanna, thank you so much for joining us today and, and, and sharing your stories and sharing these insights and, and something that I have a lot to go back and think about. And I really appreciate you taking the time.
2: Thank you for having me. It was a wonderful conversation. It was, it was wonderful. I mean, you know, connecting with you again, Jeff was great. And meeting you, Chris, for the first time and having this conversation with you both was uh, really insightful for me as well. So thank you.
1: Thank you.
0: And thank you to our listeners who, as always, um, have stayed true and listen to us for a new episode every Wednesday. And I will never stop ever stop telling you to go get our book because we're very proud of it we think it's great love is a business strategy please do check it out and if you like the podcast give us that feedback write that review and subscribe and tell a friend so with that thank you again joanna thank you chris and we'll see everybody next time.